0: Thank you Lenny, uh, thank you Scott, uh, thanks to the Venezuelan government. A postcard for Kitler. and this is just by way of uh, some warming up exercises for today, this is just to loosen us into thinking about Kitler. Sam came to pick me up at the station and then we went for a long walk in the forest. A man came up to greet us thinking that he recognised me and then excused himself at the last moment. He must be suffering, as I am, more and more from prosopagnosia, a diabolical impulsion to find resemblances in faces, to recognise, no longer to recognise. I said a few words about my postcards, asking him to keep it as secret as possible. This morning in Freiburg, to which he accompanied me by car, I understood that he had immediately spoken of it to Kittler, my host here, and perhaps his wife, psychoanalyst. The secret of the postcards burns, the hands and the tongues, it cannot be kept, QED. It remains secret, what it is, but must immediately circulate like the most hermetic and most fascinating of anonymous and open letters. I don't cease to verify this. S was to summarise and translate my lecture. At the Studium Generale, I stopped at the places where he himself had chosen and checked off in my text, still on La Folie <coughs> du Jour, the title this time. And he took this as a pretext to speak longer than I did, if not, I couldn't judge, to divert the public's attention or even the sense or letter of my discourse. We laughed over it together, and between us, laughter is a mysterious thing that we share more innocently than the rest somewhat complicated by the strategies, like a disarming explosion and like a field of study, a corpus of Jewish stories. On the subject of Jewish stories, you can imagine the extent to which I am haunted by Heidegger's ghost in this city. I came for him, I'm trying to reconstitute all his paths, the places where he spoke, the Studium Generale, for example, to interrogate him as if he were there, about the history of the posts, to appropriate his city for myself, to Sniff it out, to imagine, etc, to respond to his objections, to explain to him what he does not yet understand this morning, I walked with him for two hours, and then I went into a bookstore. I bought several cards and reproductions, as you can see i 'm also bringing you back an album, Freiburg in Alten and and I fell upon two books of photographs that cost me a great deal, one on Freud very rich, the other on Heidegger at home with Madame and the journalists from the Spiegel in 1968. So that there it is, back at the Hotel Victoria, that's where I called you from. I laid down to flip through the albums and I burst out laughing when I found that Martin has the face of an old Jew from Algiers. I'll show you. This is the entry marked 9th of May, 1979, in Jacques Derrida's Envoi section of La carte postale. It describes a trip by the narrator to a conference in Freiburg at which he meets someone called Sam Weber and is hosted by a character with the name of Kittler. I could rehearse all the means by which the text of the Envoi offers every opportunity and no possibility to be read as a romana clay, as if there really was someone called Sam Weber or a real person called Kittler. Let us not be so naïve. Upon inspection, and not very close inspection at that, all of the dates and locales of the envoi are out of sync. It is as much about the production of a convincing and undecidable reality as it is a confession of the autobiographical. The affirmation of the undecidable would be the quality of the pretense. So let us not imagine that in this passage we are confronted with the real Sam Weber, Friedrich Kittler and Jacques Derrida. The last time I sat at this desk in the Bolivar Hall in the Venezuelan Embassy in London, I was speaking on the issue of debt sitting next to the real Sam Weber. At least I think it was the real Sam Weber. He spoke about the ontotheological origins of the credit crunch, although like the man in the forest who approaches the narrator of the envoi, I may have been suffering from prosopagnosia, an inability to recognise faces. I might have been sitting next to the S of the envoi this avatar who acts as confidant to the narrator and who betrays his secret within minutes to Kittler. Perhaps it was an entirely different Sam, the son of Sam, another theoretical Sam, a in character, or the ghost of another Weber, a name maxed out by the theoretical family. I can no longer remember. I am unable to recognise the face. Like the solitary walker in the forest at Freiburg, I can only come up close to Sam and to Kittler and to Derrida and then excuse myself at the last moment. As much as I would like to find or have a diabolical impulsion to find resemblances in these faces, I am forced to turn away rather than risk an introduction. A simple greeting would be too much to venture. Perhaps for fear of rejection, perhaps to avoid a social awkwardness, perhaps out of a genuine uncertainty. The introduction is impossible. How to begin a conversation with figures such as these? It would be the madness of the day, the madness of the everyday and everyday madness. I cannot introduce myself or introduce them. Instead, bashfully, I will turn away and carry on my lonely walk through this passage. The narrator says, that he is also increasingly suffering from prosopagnosia. The turn away is mutual. We might approach each other convinced that we see a resemblance in one another only to withdraw at the last moment, performing a swerve or a U turn, our steps creating the loop of the invaginated fold that Derrida describes in his reading of La Folie du Jour as the structure of narrative a story with a single permeable skin, with no inside and no outside and only inside, and only outside. This madness, this neurotic compulsion to narrativise, results in misre- misrecognition, or a failure to connect. A meeting in a clearing, Holzfeg, to use a term of Heidegger's, that does not go anywhere. So instead, let me say a few words about my postcards. Not the same ones the narrator of the Envoi asked Sam to keep secret, and which he so quickly passes on to Kitler. Here we might ask the question, what would it mean to betray a confidence to Kitler, to tell Kitler our secrets, to speak to Kitler today and make a, make a revelation, or to pass on some gossip? As soon as we are amongst the postcards, we are once more in on the question of media. One more method of inscription and circulation, another mediation in Medea Res, in-betweenness, the human condition, From Socrates to Freud and beyond. The secret of the narrator passes around the academics of Freiburg like a postcard from one factor to another, each reading it in turn before its next posting. At the same time it remains as secret as possible, as if secrecy were possible and not the impossible condition of all media. As secret as possible, which is to say that the narrator has a doubt concerning the absolute secrecy of the secret. This might have more to do with the garrulous nature of his chosen confidant than it does with the possibility of absolute secrecy. I understood that he had immediately spoken of it to Kittler, my host here, and perhaps his wife, psychoanalyst. Derrida's wife was also a psychoanalyst. The psychoanalytic partner The silent observer of an everyday madness, a keeper of secrets, as well as a reader of symptoms, of messages and envoi. The one who always receives, even if they are not the intended, of final destination. The producer of the domestic analytic scene, or the one who turns the domestic scene inside out into an analytic moment, a site of transference and counter transference of media and mediation. The secret of the postcards burns, the hands and the tongues, it cannot be kept. There can be no possibility of keeping the secret of the postcard. It must, by definition, be passed on to the next facteur, who in turn will read it and move it along. And yet it remains secret, unreadable, undecidable, right? like the relation between Kittler and Derrida, Kittler and philosophy, Kittler and media. This media that we say today comes after Kitler, or that Kittler is in some way after, a mediation that is in the manner of Kitler. after Kitler, as we say a painting is in the style of an old master, media after Kitler. This relationship burns to the hands and tongue, it cannot be held and yet it must be spoken. Media after Kitler must circulate amongst us like a postcard that we must pass on from one to another. But do not hold on to, do not hold on to it for too long. Pass the parcel and do not be caught out when the music stops. Never cease to verify this impossibility. Media will always accompany Kittler, like Sam Weber accompanies the narrator of the Envoi. chauffeur and acolyte, driver and driven, automobile and autobiographer, translator and transformer. S was to summarize and translate my lecture, a trance that contains within itself a sense of beyond, from Socrates to Freud and beyond, a moment from one side to the other, but which never arrives sorry a movement from one side to the other, but which never arrives at its destination. the in-betweenness of translation, another form of media, a beyond that is only ever mediation. no jump from media to Kitler, no beyond or after, only the in-between of a sustained thinking of media and the object itself. The object that is also the vehicle of its analysis, no outside to this scene of analysis, no media after Kitler. Here the after or the beyond is only another mediation. Let us not speak of media after Hitler, rather if this after is just another stage of posting, of an extended and interminable in-between, then let us say, media, media, Kittler. Kittler in Medeus Res. Kittler in the middle. Kittler between philosophy and media studies. Kittler as the third term of an interminable and impossible analysis. Kittler as the in-between, a post that receives the secrets of the postcard, the secrets of media that burn the hands and the tongue. Kittler, Pass it on. Kittler as a mediation between philosophy and media. Let us not speak of Kittler after media or of Kittler media media but of simply media media media. The three terms of our scene today all turn around the same impossible secret that there is no outside the scene of analysis, nothing but the endless exchange of the letter, from one burned hand to another, media like a hot potato, passed on without end. Here the translation lasts longer than the original address. Like Sam's summary of the narrator's text, the critique outweighs the object. The in-between stretches as far as the eye can see. Like the two characters in the envoi. we can laugh about this, and this laughter between us will be a mysterious thing. The narrator describes it as being like a disarming explosion and like a field of study. One could read this sentence too quickly. The analogy is not like a disarming explosion in a field of study. The field of study is equivalent to the explosion, a disarming explosion, one that demilitarises all ordinance. As elsewhere in the envoi, we must take this order of metaphoricity seriously. Derrida as it pains to note that the postcard is not a mere metaphor for meaning. The relationship is not to be understood in an allegorical way with one half of the metaphor subordinate to the description of the other. Rather the circulation of meaning is as much an analogy for the passage of the postcard as vice versa. Equally, the field of study and the explosion are equivalent. What if we were to understand media studies as just such an explosion? A disarming explosion that left us with no more weapons. Media studies would be the only field of study that identified its own impossible condition as its object. Here I am not referring to media studies that concerned itself with the weak anthropology of the popular, something like television and film studies, in which the idea of study is merely the application of established academic protocols to a new object, often unable to justify the weight of an academic scrutiny. Rather, this would be an understanding of media after Kittler, the most profound engagement with the conditions of mediation inscription, technology and the abyssal prosthetic origin of thought, human and non-human life. A field of study that recognised only the field and understood study to be the active and critical practice of being within that field without horizon or boundary. This media after Kittler would be a disenclosure, to use a term translated from Nancy, la déclosion. Of all the borders and categories of academic classification, running the question of media, mediation and mediatisation through the university as a problem for the university, perhaps the very condition of the university and of academic life. We might say, following the narrator of the Envoi, that in the beginning was media and I will never get over it. No university without media studies. Equally, no media studies without the university. No approach to the wider field of digital celluloid print media without a critical framework for understanding. No media studies without Kittler. No media studies without the philosophy of media. Not that philosophy can be asked to speak to media or to be used to explain media in a utilitarian way, because media itself Is a philosophical concept, perhaps the only philosophical concept, the only thing worth thinking since Korah and since the cave. If the narrator and Sam share the mysterious laughter of a corpus of Jewish stories, it is because at their best such stories are a philosophy. They are a repository of knowledge of their object, a mediation of that object in which the object becomes the media itself As an articulation of its own understanding. Equally, with Hitler today, we might share the laughter of a mysterious thing called media after Hitler. A disarming explosion, a corpus of philosophical stories, a field of study that would not be recognisable as the media studies in our university today. That media studies so often the bête noire of ill-informed politicians and media commentators, who in an act of self-loathing cannot recognise their own work as a suitable object for academic study, and so decry the corruption of academic purity by the study of their own practice. Perhaps such denunciations of media studies are a warning, an attempt to make the Academy back off from its inquiry into the media, a smokescreen of indignant verbiage that says, do not look behind the curtain, do not inquire further into the construction of globalised meaning and how we, the media, produce it. While such a media studies is absolutely necessary, if we are to stay alert to our present conditions of artefactuality, media after Kittler is something more. It is more than the toolkit of ideology critique and semiotic analysis that media studies so often contents itself with. Certainly, this after is not a beyond that will transport us to the other side of media studies, but is a critical mediatisation that takes us through media studies as just another symptom of the mediatic effects that it first diagnoses. Study here is just one more mode of the in-between, a mediatisation that acts as if it stands on one side of a divide when in fact it is the very act of division itself. Let us not speak of media studies, rather of media media, media's own mediatized scene. What would it mean to pass on a secret to Kittler today? To do so too quickly, fresh out of the car from the forest of Freiburg, like the loquacious Sam. Media after Kitler. Today Kittler is our host, just as he was for the narrator of the Envoi. As the etymology runs, he is both our host, the one who brings us all together here, and our guest, the one that we invite into our midst, and whom we must treat with the utmost hospitality. He is host and guest and ghost today. You can imagine the extent to which I am haunted by Kitler's ghost in this city. Kitler plays host to the narrator of the Envoi, not just in any city, but in Freiburg, the scene of so much of Heidegger's media effect. Here, the narrator seeks out the haunting effects of Heidegger and walks with his ghost. This morning, I walked with him for two hours and then I went into a bookstore. The setup here is one of classic elegy, in which the poet is reunited with the dead in the landscape with which their lives were most keenly lived, and the poet walks with the, with the dead until dawn. The deceased loved one must always return to the underworld before day breaks, or the narrator turns into a bookstore, one more false exit into a world of media. He buys two books of photographs, one of Freud and one of Heidegger, as well as a book for his lover of Freiburg in old postcards. Between Freud and Heidegger, he introduces a slip worthy of comment. He says of the Heidegger book. That it shows the philosopher at home with Madame and the journalists from Spiegel in 1968. Once again, we are in the scene of the domestic and the observant analytic spouse. However, this living arrangement is shared with journalists, that is to say, with the media. I am reminded here of Derrida's other short and underread text of media studies entitled Above All No Journalists. On which is on the passing of the commandments to Moses, in which he suggests that the condition under which the law can be handed down on the top of Mount Sinai is that there are no witnesses present. There can be no revelation, no divine authority, or theology with the media. As soon as we have mediation, the law and everything that depends upon it is ruined. However, perhaps more interestingly in this scene of Heidegger amongst the journalists is that Derrida makes a slip on the date of the Spiegel interview, known in English as Only a God Can Save Us Now. It took place in 1968, not 19. Sorry, it took place. I've, I've done the same thing. It took place in 1966, not 1968. Significant dates for any follower of European culture. Perhaps this is not a slip at all. Perhaps it is in keeping with the manipulation and falsification of dates that characterises the envoi in general. The narrator is not Derrida. The real Jacques Derrida would know the correct date of the Spiegel interview. Perhaps it is another affirmation of the undecidable that sits so seductively and problematically at the top of every page of the envoi as a false mark in this story of dating. The Hotel Victoria to which the narrator returns to look at his books or photographs may be another comic lodging like the Russell Hotel in London, from which Derrida launched a philosophical and historical hoax in the text Racism's Last Word. The Russell Hotel is, of course, all, also the scene of another mediatisation that those who work in media studies in the UK know full well. It's where the Russell Group, university group, founded itself. the same place. And what that means for media studies in the UK. 1968, after... Sorry... But for the moment, let us imagine that this is some other interview given by Heidegger to the media, one not in the god of a hopeless ontotheology, but on media itself. 1968 after 1966, media after Kittler, from Socrates to Freud and beyond. Such an interview waits to be invented, a discourse to come that will require all the resources of our poetic imagination. Just the thinking. Sorry. Such an interview awaits to be invented, a discourse to come that will require all the resources of our poetic imagination. Just as the thinking of media after Kitler asks us to imagine another way of working and representing thought in media itself. A gesture as bold as the envoi will be required to find a suitable vehicle for this project. A suitable elegy for Kittler, one that was up to the task of thinking media after Kittler, might not require us to walk with his ghost in the early morning, but to pick him up from the station in a fast car and to be the first to spill his secrets before we have reached our destination. He has much to tell us, and we cannot help but pass it on. It will burn our hands and tongues otherwise. Thank you.